In this episode of Full Stack Radio, I talked to Jonathan Rennick about building your entire front end with Vue.js without abandoning server-side routing or data fetching. This is Full Stack Radio, episode 108. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Full Stack Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Wathen, and today I am talking to recurring guest, I think the most recurring guest of all time, my buddy Jonathan Renink. How is it going, Jonathan? It's going good, man. Great to be back on yet again. I like that I'm in spot number one. I I don't know if that means anything, but I I feel like that's a win somehow. So the reason that I wanted to have you on the show to chat again today is that I'm um, in private. We've sort of been having some conversations about uh, kind of the way that we develop, uh, you know, Laravel applications, especially in this era where kind of user interfaces are getting more and more uh, complex. And I know we both talked in the past about like, you know, maybe we should start building SPAs and stuff like that. But I think in general, both of us are still pretty kind of, we, we still kind of are comfortable in our ways, you know what I mean? And just trying to figure out ways to to build better apps without sort of throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And um, you've talked to me about an approach that you've been sort of experimenting with lately that's been working out well for you that you wrote a blog post about yesterday. And I think it'd be really cool to sort of talk about that. So I think maybe the best place to start is just talking a bit about like how we've built applications uh, traditionally and what your approach has been up until now when you've needed to add some sort of like complex interactivity to like an otherwise vanilla traditional Laravel app where you're doing server-side routing, regular controllers, you know, blade for your templates, that sort of thing. So how have you been handling that um, up until now? Yeah, for sure. So um, I've been building pretty classic server-side rendered apps to this point. I haven't made the big switch to building single page apps, although I have, you know, with work, I've built some of them, but primarily on my own projects, I still prefer that classic MVC server-side approach to web development. Where everything's like so, a full page refresh and just kind of your that's classic right. Rails style application. Bingo, exactly. So, and, but obviously there's been a lot of change in the client side space with the introduction of like Angular and Vue and React and all these really, really powerful JavaScript libraries that make reactive content and all this stuff really possible. Taking sort of what was started with jQuery to a whole new level. Um, But I would say that I'm still building my apps almost like we did in the jQuery days. And what I mean by that is I'm still building pages that are server rendered. So I have server rendered templates. I use Laravel as uh, the listeners probably know. And, uh, and that means I work with Blade. So Blade is uh, a templating language that you can generate server side rendered templates with, right? So what I'll do is kind of my, like much like the old jQuery days is I'll have a base page rendered with Laravel and then I'll add some sort of JavaScript interaction on top of that when it's required. So it's evolved a little bit from the jQuery days because in the jQuery days you'd have 
uh, a jQuery plugin and some script that basically reached into your DOM and found some element and then changed it or did something with it. Uh, these days, my preferred framework, uh, client-side framework is Vue. So what that means is within my actual Blade templates, whenever I need some enhanced client-side JavaScript-based functionality, I drop in a view component into the page and it gets spit out by Blade. And then when the actual uh, JavaScript gets parsed and run, it picks up, you know, view picks up that component that I've outputted in my Blade template and actually uh, instantiates it and, and makes it a real functioning component. Yeah, so maybe and, like a really yeah, simple yeah. example of that would be like, a page with a form that happens to have one field in the form that needs to be some sort of like fancy autocomplete. So like the whole thing would be rendered by the server. You get all the HTML coming back, except in that one spot where you need that autocomplete sort of drop down thing, you sort of have like a little marker there essentially, uh, which is like this view custom component tag and view is going to pick that up on the client, kind of turn that <laughs> into something interactive, but it's, kind of just like isolated and localized to just that one spot. That's right. It's very much it's very much still a server-side rendered template. It's not all in on, on client-side rendering. Um, and that's worked pretty well. And it actually, uh, you can do some pretty neat things with it because you still get all the benefits of the server-side rendered uh, templates, but you can, you can add these sort of where needed and you can pass data to them um, and, uh, and, and yeah, you can, you can have lots of these on a page. I have certain pages and apps that have 10, 20, uh, different components, be it buttons or drop down menus or special inputs, all sorts of different things. So that's really how kind of historically I've built my apps, but I started feeling some pain around this. Sorry. Did you want to say no, something yeah, there? No, go for it. Okay. So I started feeling some pain around this. And, and I think the pain really came from the fact that high level, there was sort of like these two different, different architectural patterns at play in my apps. I had these server side rendered templates, but then I also had these client side components and they were like living together in the same app and not only living together in the same app, but they're like really tightly woven and sort of the first pain point that I felt with that was that I really just didn't even know always where a particular view or template was for, for a particular uh, section on a page within my app because it could live in two places, right? It could live in my server-side rendered templates folder mm -hmm. or it could live in my list of view components in that folder, which is like a super minor thing, but kind of day to day, it's annoying because what I would have to do is like, okay, I need to make this change. So I would start by opening the, the server side rendered template, the blade template. Oh shoot. It's not in here. I can see that it's actually in this view component. Then I go find the view component and make the changes that I need. Um, you know, yeah. if I'm making a change to the actual blade template, I don't need to, to run any build process. If I, if I make a change to a view template, I do need to fire up my build process to actually compile that. And it just, it kind of felt messy with those yeah. two things just, yeah, existing kind of in different spots. And I think kind of like the pain there, um, like where it really rears its head, and this is something like I run into a lot too, is that 
at sort of a superficial level, it seems like it should be easy to know when some template code is going to be like in some server rendered file or in some view file because it's like, oh, is it like an autocomplete? Well, that's going to be in view. Is it like, you know, just like some static part of my sidebar? Well, that's going to be in Blade. But I think what tends to happen on these applications over time is that what starts as just like one small component, all of a sudden it needs to like communicate with something like a few elements higher up in the hierarchy. And sort of the idiomatic way to do that in Vue is to have like a parent component that is like the source of truth for some data that passes it down as props to multiple components that need access to that data. So what you see happening is you start with like one component, then it needs to talk to some component that's like, you know, 200 pixels away on the screen. So now you kind of have to figure out like what's the nearest like shared ancestor between those two components. And now that becomes a view component. I'm like very slowly over time, I find that like view is starting to like swallow bigger and bigger pieces of my UI to the point where it isn't super obvious anymore. Just looking at like the web browser where something uh, is is actually going to be. Do you find this too? Like how many times have you been in a situation where like you have like 75% of the view has moved to a view component just because of some like silly necessity where you just need to communicate between two things that like are far apart on the screen, you know? 100%. I've created a lot of like parent wrappers that wrap up some some sibling components just because those sibling components need to communicate with each other. Like it always feels so, like it just feels like a loss because I'm trying to like really maintain these server-side render templates. It feels like a loss when I got to like say, okay, well now this whole page has to be wrapped up into this parent view component just because I need these two sibling components on that page to communicate with, the, with each other for whatever reason. Like one good example is like maybe you make a change in one place of the app through a component and that change uh, dictates uh, a content refresh on another component. It's like, well, now you have to create these parent, these parent components. And that's actually what I started doing. Yeah. And And that's actually kind of what led me down this whole road. I think like the, my favorite, like extreme example of this is say you have like, say you have like an app and maybe there's two different layout ideas here. Maybe you've got one that's got like a sidebar and you know how sometimes at the bottom of the sidebar you'll have like the person's like kind of login information, like their avatar and their email and maybe like a sign up button or maybe you have it in like the very top right in like your nav bar and you go to like an edit profile page and you want to change the person's email and now all of a sudden it's like, well, I'd like that to update instantly in the in the bottom right hand corner, especially if you're like doing the update with like an Ajax request or something, right? all of a sudden that like necessitates that the entire page becomes a view component. If you actually want to store that state, um, in sort of the nearest ancestor. Yeah, that's a great example. And that's one that like historically, I, I sort of never did that because to convert the whole layout to be a view component was just like way too far. I still wanted that server side render template. Yeah. So one one of the other things that I've run into personally that, annoys me when I'm just using view as like sort of like sprinkling it in on top of server rendered stuff is you get this you get this sort of like flickery like jumping effect in the UI a lot of the time and it's not as a lack of 
it's not like for a lack of using something like V cloak that lets you sort of style things based on whether view has initialized or not. But say you have um, kind of like some sort of bar on the screen that has some content in it and it has like a button in it and that button needs to be a view component because it needs to do something in sort of an Ajax sort of way. And say like the height of that bar is sort of determined by the fact that that button is there because it's just like the size of its contents plus some vertical padding or something. Um, no matter what you do with like V cloak, when you load that page, there's going to be like a microsecond where that button's not there yet. And that bar is going to jump in height when the button actually loads in. And the only way to resolve that is to basically put like a dummy button there instead of the actual component that's hidden as soon as, um, the cloaking stuff is over with or to assign like a fixed height, which is not really a great solution a lot of time. Cause in general, I try to build things in sort of an adaptive way, right? Like when you start using absolute positioning and fixed heights and fixed sizes for everything, you create these really brittle user interfaces. So in an ideal world, you want everything to sort of adapt to it, to its content. And it gets really hard in those situations, unless you're willing to just like accept the flicker, which is basically what, what I've done uh, historically. Um, so it's yeah, like see, such a I, minor I thing, but do, it's so annoying. Yeah. Like I refuse to go down that, like I refuse to have the flicker. What I'll end up doing is I'll actually take the entire page and I'll V, v cloak the entire thing. So it's all invisible until that shows up. But now it's kind of ridiculous because now I have a server rendered app that's intentionally being blocked. not rendered. Yeah. yeah. Blocked because I don't want this, this little flicker jank because of my, javascript components yeah. so it's it's funny like yeah. w- once you get to that point that's when it's that's when like kind of the approach that i think we're gonna get into here becomes it kind of seems like the obvious logical conclusion of that because yeah it's like yeah. okay um i'm doing this server-side rendered template so that when someone does view source the html is all there right away like it came from the server but i'm refusing to show it to the user until view or react or whatever is done doing its thing um, so I guess like the, the question that you eventually like realize you should be asking yourself is like, why, what is the benefit of even rendering this at all on the server anymore? If I'm not going to show the user anything until the JavaScript portion of the UI is ready. Yep. That is, that is the, uh, that is the big question. And I think, and I think the obvious answer is for all the benefits of server-side rendering, right? But if, I guess, if you've removed the ability to do that server-side, if you've effectively removed the ability to do server-side rendering because you have all these view components, then the benefits that come along with that are also pointless. Like, they're gone, right? So, yeah, the there is no benefits anymore. Yeah. Really. So, um, I would say the only, maybe the only benefit <clears throat> is that that's the way you're used to working. The way you're used to working is I have a page that play that page has a server side rendered template and that server side ten, rendered template you know has content and it has view components and and that's kind of how you find yourself in that situation not because it's even you know the most ideal way anymore it's just that's kind of how it's always been done and i and i feel like this is kind of like the interesting like point because once you arrive at this i feel like what can happen is when you f- start feeling these pain points the what what the web community today will tell you is you need to go all in SPA 
uh, server side or client side rendered fully, you know, client side routing, everything. You got to make that huge transition to doing everything client side, you know, not just the rendering, but you also need to do that for everything else. And, yeah, and to me, like, that's like, that's really what I'm pushing back against. State management, yeah. client side routing, kind of persistent exactly. processes, all that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah and so, obviously there's a use case for all that stuff. I, like I'm not saying that there isn't, it's just, I want to, I want to be able to build really nice interfaces in my app while still maintaining the more traditional server yeah. side rendered or not even not even server side rendered but server side routing and classic controllers and and kind of that style of doing yeah, web development kind of full page refresh navigation sort of thing so so that kind of takes us to where i think it probably makes sense to introduce sort of this this idea which i think like the way i understand it is basically Instead of using like Blade, for example, to do anything at all in your entire app, you are creating like a single Blade template that is exactly like the sort of template you would see if you were building a single page app where all it's really doing is specifying like the HTML tag, the head tag, the body tag. But inside of there, there's like one root div that is sort of where you're going to mount the application, right? Just like you would in an SPA. And you're using that template which is just like a kind of a vanilla boilerplate template that literally anyone could use on any app essentially. And you're yep. using that for your entire site. That's the only blade template and all of the actual interfaces are coming from what are essentially these like full page uh, view components. So even when you could do something with blade, you're choosing to do it with view just sort of deciding there is only one way that i'm going to create user interfaces and that is in view instead of trying to split the difference between blade and view that's right so the way this works so so if you think back to the server side rendered templates and the way that you'd actually create a component within one of those templates you would just create the component tag like you would normally for any view component tag and then anytime that component needs data you can actually pass data to the component using props. And this is pretty standard view architecture stuff, right? So, and we've been doing that within our server-side render templates. But what you can actually do is if you commit to this approach, instead of having kind of this almost like one-to-one, -one, like every page in the app has a server-side rendered template, change it more to every single endpoint in the entire app uses this one base or root template that really all it's doing is, as you suggested, it's, it's, it's set in the head of the page, it's included in any assets, and then it has one root element in that body. And that root element is going to be whatever base component you want to render for that particular page. So then what happens is, uh, and the way that I've set it up to work in my apps is when I, whenever from a controller, whenever I want to render, essentially render a view, which now is a view component. So whenever I want to display a page, I have a little view, view macro that says view. So V I E W, um, right. Uh, and then colon, colon component and then within that method i pass a component name which is the view v u e component name and 
a list of data. So it's exactly the same as if you were returning a normal server-side rendered view where you'd yeah. give it the name of the template and then and all the data. data that you're passing to the template. Exactly. So the only difference is I'm giving it, instead of the name of a template, a server-side rendered template, I'm just giving it a name of a view component and the data. And the data is like, it's ex it works in the exact same way, except the data now gets passed to that view component as props. So yeah. imagine it like this. The the page loads that root template uh, is displayed. It's server-side rendered, right? The root template. Then the actual base element, the root element, the div that's in the body, there's only one. It has a name attached to it and it has some data attached to it. And then what I do is when I instantiate or boot boot view in my app.js file, what I do is I basically just, um, using JavaScript, I just inspect the page. I say, give me that, go find that div, you know, get element by ID app. Yeah. And then grab from two data attributes, grab the name of the component and grab the data for those components. And now imagine those data. So that data is assigned as a, a, a data attribute on that root div and it's JSON encoded, right? Cause this could be, this could be an array. It could be a multi-dimensional array. It could have whatever, right? So what we're going to do is we're going to, when, when we actually output that server rendered page, that root, that root blade view, it's actually JSON encoding all the template data. So all the prop data. So then when the app.js file is, is instantiating view, it grabs that data and then just creates a new view instance and it grabs the name of the component so it knows which component to actually instantiate. Then it grabs the actual prop data from that, that attribute and then it passes that prop data in, it, I think it actually, JSON decodes it because it needs to do that. I'm just gonna pull that up. Yeah, JSON parses it, so JSON parses it and then passes it to the view component. Yeah. So. That, that's maybe it's kind of hard to describe that in audio format here and it's really simple when or pretty simple when you look at it but that's basically kind of how it works yeah. so, so you, you can essentially think of it as like a single div that you're rendering from the server that has your app id on it because that's how view hooks into it and then two data attributes which are basically used as like metadata to tell view like the the one data attribute is the name of the component. The second data attribute is all the props, JSON encoded. And then in the setup view can kind of read the data attribute and say, okay, which component should I be assigning to this div? And what are the props that I should pass to it? And then it yeah. passes passes all that stuff in and view just kind of kind of does its thing. Yeah, exactly. And, there, and then there's all sorts of kind of interesting wins that come out of this. So like the first really interesting win, I think, is just the handling of the prop data. So one thing I hated with the server-side render templates when I was putting view components within them is anytime I needed to put data, assign data as props to those components, it always became kind of like this ugly thing. It was hard to do nicely, just strictly from a from a templating uh, formatting perspective. Um, so you mean basically, like in your blade files where you're trying to specify in a blade file what props should be passed to a component? It kind of felt correct. Like messy. Yeah, it was messy. Exactly. Like it, typically, be, you know, I couldn't just if I had say 
Um, maybe I had a collection of events that I just pulled back from the database. I couldn't just say prop events equals events. Um, well, I could, but then there would be some work that would have to happen behind the scenes to properly convert that to JSON. More often than not, what I would do is I would either do a map on that data and grab just the, 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 the attributes within that collection of events and return those because I didn't want to return all the data for the event, the events. I just maybe wanted the ID and the name, or maybe I wanted uh, the, 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 the ID and the name, the date or something, right? So I was always kind of doing this. It's really just transformation work that I was doing within my, my server side blade templates to basically get that data prepared properly for, for the view component. So by doing it this way, I basically move that work out of the server side render templates and I move that work into a much more natural place for it, which is in the controller. So now whenever I return a, a, a view response from my controller, which includes the component name and the data, I format that data as it needs to be when it goes to the view component. So as it, as it will appear in the actual client. So as it will appear when it gets yeah. JSON encoded onto the root of so the page. What was the reason for not just doing that? before though like you could have still transformed stuff in the controller even when you were doing it the old way yeah yeah no that's a that's a good question i i guess i i guess i could have it just didn't feel as neat because i guess right now when i return the data i get it all like it's all obviously collected and intended for view component this one base root view component right whereas whereas in my current server side rendered approach or my previous server side rendered approach what it i would have some data that was intended to be server side rendered and then i'd have some yeah. data that was intended to be client side rendered so like and sometimes you're passing like full eloquent models mix and you'd be mixing that with like kind of flattened data static yep. data just for view and it was kind of weird looking at that in the controller trying to like understand like why does this have to be sort of converted to just flat data when this can be passed through as like a rich PHP object? And it kind of feels like the controller is a little too aware maybe of like what the template is going to do with that information. That's exactly it. That is exactly it. Because maybe the template at one point just takes a, the, the list of events and just does server-side rendering on them. But maybe later on a requirement comes along where I need to make that a, a view component and now I need to pass it to the view component and do that transformation to get it ready for JavaScript. So to kind of put that work in the controller, yeah, it just wasn't clear. I just didn't like, it felt messy and unorganized. And it, so um, that's, yeah. And I think maybe part of this too is I think as anybody working with Blade, I think it's more common to even do stuff within our blade templates that cause have like side effects like database queries and, and different things like that that you can't now do with this approach and what i mean by that is like maybe maybe you have the current user right and you're you know you have the the currently authenticated user and you're showing a page in the app for them maybe you want to show their events on a page well it's super easy within Blade in a more traditional server-side rendered template to say, okay, I have the authenticated user already available to me in Blade, so why don't I just do, you know, auth user events, you know, call the, yeah. the events relationship, and then 
iterate through them using a for each loop and output them, right? But what's actually happening there is you're causing a relationship lazy load database query to actually be executed when you do that. And that's happening in your blade template. And whenever, and, and you, you'll know that that's annoying and you'll know that you're doing that in blade when you run into errors into that, in that code and you start getting um, the error output and it's all mangled together with your actual layout yeah. <laughs> code as opposed to just being a nice clean uh, error message. Right. So that's kind of the other benefit with this approach is you kind of can't do that. And I think there's like wisdom to that, to yeah. forcing your controllers to always prepare the data fully before it ends up into your, your view layer. And that's especially true when it comes to testing, because if you're fully preparing your data in your controller before sending it to the server-side render template or the, the view render template, um, you can now test that you've done that work properly in the controller layer. And I should probably say you could have done all this stuff, you know, preparing that data properly yeah. with a server-side render template. It's just, there's, there's no, not like, really, there's no forcing function. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it kind of feels almost pointless. So you yeah. don't, and it's a little too easy to do things that yeah, could bite you. I mean, at the same time, like people should be free to do whatever they want, but there is something interesting about this approach that kind of guides you down this direction of making sure that like the view is essentially as dumb as possible in terms of like what it's doing with the, the data in a lot of sense. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of like Ecto in, in Phoenix, uh, where like it forces you to like eager load all your relationships and all your data whenever yeah. you're working with the database. Right. It kind of feels a little bit more like that. And I think that there's something good about that pattern. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. Just wanted to take a quick break to thank one of this week's sponsors, and that is Cloudinary. So if I had to describe Cloudinary myself, it's basically just the best way to store and serve images that I've ever seen. In the past, I used to use generic storage services like Amazon S3 to store and serve images, uh, but after switching to Cloudinary, I genuinely cannot believe I ever did this stuff any other way. Uh, so here's one example of how Cloudinary has made my life easier. Uh, so you probably know that typically images are the heaviest resource your users have to download when they visit your site, right? Usually way more than your JavaScript or CSS. So in the past, I would spend a lot of time tweaking settings and tools like Image Alpha and Image Optim to try and optimize my image files so they weren't as large. Uh, with Cloudinary, I can just upload the full resolution file without even really thinking about it. And then by just adding a parameter to the image URL that I get back, uh, when I go to serve it on my site, Cloudinary will automatically optimize that image as best as it can, usually resulting in file sizes that are actually lower than what I was seeing when trying to optimize the images by hand. Uh, this is even more useful for like user uploaded images because instead of trying to do some fancy automatic image optimization in a background job on my own server or something, I can just send those images directly to Cloudinary from the browser, I request the optimized version back by adding that URL parameter and bam, I've got an optimized image at a really small file size. Uh, so there's an enormous amount of other cool stuff that you can do through the URL based API. That's really just scratching the surface, but you can do stuff like request images at different sizes so you can serve smaller images 
on mobile devices so you're not wasting bandwidth. Uh, you can crop images to different dimensions. You can crop images using face detection, so just crop to the faces in an image. Uh, you can automatically add watermarks or text overlays or tons of different effects and stuff like that. It's a seriously impressive service. So Cloudinary has an amazing free plan where you can store 300,000 images and videos. Yeah, did I mention you can do all this crazy stuff, not just with images, but also with videos too. Uh, you get 10 gigabytes of storage and 20 gigabytes of monthly bandwidth on this free plan. Uh, so if you're not already using them, definitely head over to cloudinary.com and check it out. It really is one of my absolute favorite services that I use on my own projects. Thanks a ton to Cloudinary for sponsoring this episode. Back to the show. So I think maybe like an interesting direction to sort of take this would be to sort of talk about some of the some of the sort of like maybe criticisms people would have of this approach or some of the like questions people would have uh, where the answers are not so obvious and use that as sort of a way to drive out some of the other interesting benefits. So like one that comes to mind for me, for example, is I could see how someone would think like if you're already doing all this work to make every single page a view component and making the whole page a view component and not doing any of that stuff on the server, like why not just build an SPA because currently by not building an SPA, you've created this situation where you're making view do all the work, but you're not able to benefit from like quick page transitions. You know what I mean? And like, and for even like for the purposes of this conversation, forget even like that turbo links exists and stuff like that. Just like if the whole page is a view component, like why do a full page reload every single time someone clicks around when you could just build um, an SPA. And I, I think there's all sorts of interesting reasons um, or sort of like not obvious benefits. Um, so maybe like what's the first thing that comes to mind for you in terms of why, you know, there's still merit to this approach if you're not actually going to go the whole way? Yeah, I think absolutely the biggest one is maybe I don't want to build an API. Because that's really what that's really what these client side frameworks require of us nowadays. If you're doing a full client side framework, there's some sort of assumption that there's JSON endpoints uh, that I, that you can hit, yeah, to get some data that you can use to display, you know, to to do whatever it is that you want your app to do, yeah. And and obviously there is a time and place for APIs, um, especially you know if you're building a multi platform app. Um, or if you just want to have an API that you can expose to to to, to third party people who want to build uh, build applications with your API, like that makes sense. But I think a lot of times, at least in my my work, I run into situations where I don't necessarily need an API. I'm not. It's never going to be multi platform. It's just a it's a web app that I'm de- developing for some company that needs to do some work that wants to have a custom web app to help run their business better. And an API is just, it's not even on the radar yeah. at all. I, I think so, like, I think the important yeah. thing to acknowledge too, right, is like if you're taking the approach that you're sort of outlining in this conversation, that's sort of like making the assumption that like you've already decided that building it as a traditional Laravel app with server-side rendered templates would have been a, a fine and ideal solution. The only thing that's like sort of pushing you to do anything more than that is like demands for rich client-side interaction right so if you're already comfortable and the business has already decided that like the 
best way to build this in terms of like what our budget is and like what our actual needs are is as like a vanilla server rendered application, then you sort of already decided that you don't need an API right away, at least, you know what I mean? Like it's not necessary to solve the problem. So I almost think that that argument is kind of like, well, what if you need a multi-platform app? It's like, that's not an argument against doing full page view components. That's an argument against doing anything server-side rendered at all. So you sort of have to like let that go, I think, and and just think about like what points you have to make in this context of we've already like made that decision to accept that trade-off because we were going to do it anyways, whether we just sprinkled view in for components here and there or whether we made the whole page of view component. Yeah, that's such a great point. Yeah, we're not comparing we're not comparing this to building a full SPA with an API. We're comparing this to building a classic server-side rendered app. And and that's what's I think that's what's frustrating about when you start going down this road and you start asking for help for how to 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 architect this stuff is you ask, "Well, I have this app that I want to I want it's a server-side rendered app, but I want to have these really nice server or client rendered uh, templates and components. And the answer right away is, well, you should build an SPA with an API. It's like, well, I don't really need an API. Well, no, that's, that's the way it has to be done because that's the way it is done, which is fine. But I just feel like just because I want to take the UI, this, you know, that, that, that view layer of my app to the next level, I feel like if that means that I have to build an API, like it just doesn't feel like the right, feels like such a logical step, big jump. Yeah. Exactly. And people will tell you, well, you know what, if you just build it that way from the start, then, you know, this is a non-issue because, um, if you just build that way from the start, then you have the API right from the get go. Yeah. Which, which I, I totally get that argument, but then we, yeah, but then there's even arguments within that because I think like, and this is maybe starting to unpeel this, uh, a little bit further. Like I, I think for me personally, there's just something so nice about a classic MVC server-side app. And it's not it's not only the the server-side rendering that I liked. And in fact, that's not even really the piece that I really like. The piece that I really like is I sort of have an API already. And that yeah. API in my situation and for a lot of yeah, it's the database. That's right. So like, I I, I think like before we get into that though, I think it's important to yeah. point out that like one of the biggest differences between building an SPA and doing things the way that you've been talking about doing that I think is not immediately obvious is that in an SPA, when you want to get data, you're doing it like after the component renders, the component is responsible in some way, whether it's through Vuex or some data store abstraction or whatever, it's going to call out to the API, get the data it needs, wait for it to come back and then display the data. And the approach that you're taking, your components are never fetching data from the server. They are fed that data like f- from the very first second that they exist, like that data is provided. They're like required parameters to the component essentially in this approach. Um, so I think that's sort of like the biggest like conceptual uh, difference. And I think, you know, what you're about to get into, which I think is interesting, is talking about like what some of the benefits to that are that might not be immediately obvious at first. Yeah, that's that's a great. I actually make that exact point in my article about it. It's like, yeah, the, the difference is between an SBA and this is exactly what you just said. 
the, the components in an SPA are responsible for somehow getting their data. Whereas this, it's all, it's more like, it's more like dependency injections. Like we're injecting their data into them as props right when they get created. And from that point on, they have their data and, and they're good to go. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, sorry. Good, good, good point there. Um, I'm just jumping right along here, getting into the, the next interesting piece, but yeah, kind of getting back to that, uh, the data side of it. Um, yeah. So a standard client side app has already has this amazing data layer, which is the database and it's the ORM that you're using, right? So there's a ton of functionality that comes along with that. So it would be one thing for me if I had to accept that building an API was the right way to do this and I should just go off and do it and it would be like better in every way, right? But in my experience, building an API is not always better than just getting the data within the controller that that page needs and giving it directly to the view. Uh, I've, I've had experience with this where you have a page in your app that needs a bunch of different data from different parts of your app. And what it ends up having to do is make a bunch of different API requests to get the data it needs in order to display that page. Yeah, so you make like six or seven Ajax requests to like your REST API to get like all the different pieces of data. That's right. And obviously there's creative ways that we've kind of try to mitigate those problems. Uh, I know like the JSON API spec has ways to do like nesting. Like side loading, I don't, yeah, and stuff like that. Yeah, that's right. And and obviously I think this is a huge reason why GraphQL, it makes so much sense is because Gra- GraphQL sort of like accepts this problem and, and comes, comes up with a logical solution. It's like, no, I don't just need one single resource and some data out of that. I mean, I need this resource and, and one item of that resource and one item from, you know, it's like this big, big yeah. graph of data and a whole bunch of different complicated relationships and everything else. So GraphQL is really a cool solution to that, that problem. The, the problem with and GraphQL is, is it's something else that you have to write, right? Like GraphQL is, is like you're creating, the goal of GraphQL is basically to create a database that's accessible by the client with all, with all the ability to do like complex querying that you would yes normally do but in your case since you're preparing the data on the server anyways you don't even need that extra layer because you can already do all that complex querying from a sort of safe location which is the server writing queries that talk to the database exactly and and again there is a use case for a graphql api and there are times when that's going to be the right solution but for me in a lot of the applications that i develop to build a whole graphql api to just generate some pages that I know will only ever be in this web-based application. Yeah, it's, it's like the web way... client is the only client that's ever going to exist, and that is a known thing for sure. It's like, yep. what is the point? Yeah, exactly. And, and for that matter, on top of that, Eloquent and ORM, uh, the, or, the ORM that comes with Laravel, and Active Record is like, it's just this wonderful thing to work with. It's like, I can do all these crazy complex queries um, and, and get all this data however I need and in the most like optimized possible way for each individual page and use case. So it's even like a really good, it's not like a second rate tool compared to GraphQL. Like it's actually a wonderful, it's, it's equally as powerful if, if not more powerful, right? Because GraphQL could logically be built with Eloquent, right? So, so yeah. yeah, there's kind of that whole, that's whole, that whole piece, right? So that's, that's the other thing. Like, um, it's just, there's a ton of functionality that's just 
included out of the box when you build an app this way. I think the other benefit is um, even if you did need to do like multiple requests for different pieces of data, like say it wasn't possible to create some really insane database query that does everything all in one query. Um, it's still so much faster to run six database queries on the server than it is to run six HTTP requests from the client. Yep, exactly. Which I do all the time. Yeah. Yep, for sure. So another one of the kind of things that kind of makes me sort of like an, an irrational objection that I had to this approach when I first heard it was like, okay, so I'm, if I'm waiting for the whole page if the whole page is being rendered with view i have to wait for view to boot up for any of the page to load basically right so now i'm basically forcing myself to wait like a a millisecond for anything to actually show up on the page every single time and it just felt like uh why why am i like doing this when i could render it with the server but um and and then the other thing that sort of ties into that is like i'm making view like boot up from scratch every single time whereas with an spa view sort of boots up once when the app boots up and then that view process is like persistent and running like the whole time um i think what kind of convinced me to stop being annoyed by that idea was that in the apps that i build currently where i'm only using like two or three view components on a page i'm already doing that and already paying that cost like i'm already making view boot up from scratch every single time so while it would be nice if you could just boot up once, so like if, if there was a way to get that benefit, I'm certainly not making things worse for myself by doing the approach that that you're talking about. Like I've already accepted that trade-off whether I really realize it or not. Um, so I have no real right to complain about it if I'm not also complaining about it in the apps that I'm already building. Yeah, and in fact, in fact, like um, it's even worse in a way because in the apps that we're already building, what ends up happening is we do get some some rendering happening right away, which is the server side rendering. But then that creates all these weird flickering and janking and and you know jumping around those yeah. kind of issues, right? Which you got to use cloaking, which is just really at the, at the point you introduce cloaking and say I'm not even going to hide this page until it's ready to go with view. You're already like probably now in worse shape than just using the approach that we're using, or at least the same exact same situation. Yeah, for sure. So I think maybe like the next thing to get into that I I think is interesting is to try and work through like what some of the challenges are with this approach, because it's obviously not um, a magic silver bullet that makes absolutely everything easier. And I think the place where you start running into this is when you start thinking about the sorts of things that you would normally rely on existing in a blade template that are sort of coming from PHP and from the Laravel app that you don't easily have access to anymore in the sort of javascript land so like the first one that comes to mind for me is like routes so i'll often be using like the route helper for example when i'm trying to generate links in my ui to other parts of the ui so i can just use named routes instead of having to couple everything to the url so what has your solution been to this point for trying to get access to like routing information in javascript yeah um so that's that was probably the first thing that I actually bumped into when I started doing this. And there's a, um, and I very much like using named routes throughout my entire app, um, as well, instead of, you know, manually typing those. And then if I ever have to change them, then I have to go back and search through my whole project and update those. So the way I deal with routes is a library 
called Ziggy, which is from the good folks over at Titan. Adam, maybe you've heard of that company. Yep, I have. <laughs> and uh, and all Ziggy does um, is it basically just grabs all your Laravel named routes and it makes them available in in JavaScript. And it does this basically just in line in the head of your app. And all it does is it just creates this array of all your routes. And then it also provides a route function that's available in JavaScript. So you basically just call route and pass it the name and any route parameters that you would normally pass in the exact same way that you would do it server-side in Laravel. And that basically solves that issue. You have you have those routes available to you anywhere. If you didn't, and even if you didn't want to use Ziggy for whatever reason, you could hand roll this uh, yourself because it's possible to get all the routes in Laravel and you could just return that as an array somehow to your your client side and yeah, you could you, parse you can them and display them. just pass it through as props to the, the component. That's right. It'd be a little yep. bit more work, but like conceptually, if you want to get information to the view, the place to do that is by yep. attaching props to the controller or as part of your like transformation when like say you have like a an array of events like you're talking about say like there's a a page for each event to like go view details about that event or something you can absolutely map those events into some flattened data structure and and kind of attach a Add link the to URL. each one of those right totally so then you, you don't even have, really do have to think about the named route stuff it's just like nope. this resource has a has a link associated with it so you have to change yes. how you think a little bit maybe or you can use something like ziggy that kind of just lets you do exactly the laravel thing but in javascript yeah. but there's there's definitely sort of ways around it yeah and i kind of cheat i basically use ziggy kind of the way that the route helper or is already available to me server side so anytime you're generating a server side blade template in laravel you can just call route and generate the route yeah. right that's available globally to you as a function so i actually register route as a mixin a, a, a view mixin just called like a, with a method called route so that i actually have that available not only not only available within my actual view component like JavaScript code, but also have it available to me if I want to output the route within the actual, like an actual template yeah. part of my view component. So yeah, so that that works great. Another thing that um, I kind of instinctively thought might be tricky, and one of the things that actually has always sort of made me like kind of wary of doing like an SPA is dealing with like authorization stuff. Like basically checking, like, does this user have access to this or should this edit button be visible to this user because they're not an admin or something like that? I kind of always worried that if I was going to build an SPA and I think the same risks exist in this approach, um, that I would be having to duplicate basically a lot of that that logic. You know what I mean? To check like, oh, well, if this person's role includes this, then yes, they can edit events, but maybe they can't edit whatever. Um, yep. And in like a server side template, you would normally, there's like a bunch of ways you can do it with blade, right? You can either say like user, then call the can method on the user. If they've got like whatever that trade is mixed into them, you can say like can like edit posts or whatever that'll return true or false based on your Laravel policies. Um, or I think there's like blade directives for it too, like at can and, and stuff like that, that automatically yeah, and cannot, yeah, hook into like the authenticated user. So what is your approach for being able to check authorization rules from within these view components? Yep. 
So that's a, that's a great question as well. Um, so there's sort of like two different types of authorization uh, checks that I do in my apps. One is like what I consider like route level checks, which is really anything that happens either in my middleware or that happens actually within my controllers themselves. So, and those checks are literally exactly the same. Nothing changes from a standard set. Yeah, because right? that's more about so, like being able to access like the resource located at that URL, right? Like whether it should be exactly. a 404 or, or whatever. Yep, that's right. Yeah. So, and I love using I love using the uh, the policy checks, the can middleware in Laravel on my routes. That's actually where I implement most of my policies. Uh, I like to keep that stuff out of my, uh, maybe it's just personal preference, but I like to keep those checks out of my controllers and just have them defined literally within my routes file. Mm-hmm. So that's that's those, which is pretty straightforward. Um, but then, yeah, when you have situations, which is really what we're talking about here, in the view components where you need to hide or show stuff depending on the current user's uh, permissions and, and the policies, so there's um, there's sort of like two different ways you can handle these. And there's maybe I would say there's two different types of checks here. So one would be checks that are going to happen against not like that are not associated with any particular piece of data. So that might be something like maybe you're showing an events page, right? And uh, maybe only in this system, maybe only administrators are allowed to create events. Everyone can view the events, but only admins can create the events. So you have a create button in your view component to actually create that event. Um, So you need to now have some way of knowing that that current user, or you you need some way of knowing whether or not you can show that create event button, right? Yeah. So the real simple solution there is this just becomes another prop. So what you do is in your controller, when you're turning, returning the data from your controller for the view component, you just literally create, like I, I sometimes like to group these up into a can array, so I'll have a, a can key that says, and, and, then, and then put whatever policies or whatever things that I want to check in that as, as an array of items. So I'll say, um, can they create an event? So I'll literally have a, a key that says can, and then a, another key within that that says create event, and that, that'll equal whatever policy check then I do on the server side. So then on the server side, I do current user, can they do this thing? And that's going to return a Boolean, true or false. So then all that goes to that view component now as a prop is this can prop. And within that, it's got a bunch of keys that says can create event, can do this, can do that. Yeah. And it's just true or false. So there's no logic in the view component. Like it's literally just checking the Boolean because there's no, there's no like risk of leaking data or anything anyways, right? These are really just like visual things like you don't want to show a create button that that goes to a 404 um if the person's not an admin it's better to just hide it yeah bingo so and and the actual the actual view component sorry yeah go ahead that i think is interesting about this right is like first of all it's basically just following that exact same mindset that we've talked about leading up to this already which is like if the view component needs some information pass it to it as a prop from a controller you know what i mean like Everything can kind of be solved that way. Like routes can be passed that way. Permissions can be passed that way. Blah, 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 blah. The other thing I think is interesting about it is I think that this solution that you're talking about is actually sort of hard to mimic in like an SPA environment, I think. You know what I mean? Like you, 
it seems kind of weird to create an API endpoint to get a user's true or false permissions for different things. You know what I mean? I guess it's not that yeah. weird. Maybe there's like a slash users slash five slash permissions and that returns like an object with with everything. But I don't feel like I see people do that uh, as much. Whereas in this approach, it kind of feels pretty simple and straightforward to just pass that list of rules kind of pre-computed directly to the component. Yeah, I know. When I'm, I know uh, at my uh, my previous job, that's what we we actually did do that. So when when the actual me endpoint, as we used, so the me API endpoint actually had a set of permissions that actually listed all those. So you can do that. Absolutely, can do that with the a standard uh, API as well. Um, but yeah, you just kind of gotta. It just maybe like separates that a little bit um, from, like in this case, it's like. The controller is very much dealing with events, and now there's there's a a can policy check that's like nicely like tightly coupled all in like one spot, right? But you, you can do it the other way as well. So then, so that's that's like the one kind yeah. that it's like not related to any types of data. Yeah, just kind of more of a and global the one, level sort of permission. That's right. Yep. And then the uh, the ones that are related to data are equally simple, really. Um, all you do is as you transform that data and prepare it for your view component. So imagine we got events, right? And maybe, maybe in this particular app, you can create events and you can edit your own events, but you can't edit other people's events. So imagine a list of events and you want an edit button besides some of them, but not all of them, right? So I literally do the exact same thing, except I nest it within whatever that particular, uh, L, uh, item is, right? So if I'm, if I'm generating, if I'm, if I'm generating my list of attributes for that event, so maybe I'm grabbing the ID, maybe I'm grabbing the, the title of the event and the date and the description, I'll create again this can key in there. And then within that can key, I'll add whatever whatever policy checks I want them to want to know with, on that page. So again, like maybe it's edit. So I have a can key, then an edit key, and that'll be true or false. And I find that pattern works really nice in the view templates as well because you just type in can.edit and that's vf can.edit and yeah. then it shows up. It's that simple. Yeah, that's cool. Right? It's so. kind of like what you're doing is basically you're viewing every resource through the lens of the current user. You know what I mean? So that's rather right. than like on the PHP side where like if you just have an event and you've got that event out of the database and it's just an eloquent model, conceptually there's like no logical way for that to have like an editable property that is true or false because on its own, it's impossible to know that it depends on the current user, Who the current user. Is. But what you're yep. basically doing is taking any data in the system and sort of transforming it before it gets to the view components so that it's like being viewed through the lens of like the authenticated user. And that sort of lets you enrich them with some of this like metadata that you can only know when you sort of have that context. Yep. That's right. Exactly. Yep. Very cool. Just wanted to take a quick break to thank one of this week's sponsors, and that is Rollbar. So there are two major problems with relying on your users to submit bug reports to you when they find something broken in your app. Number one, you can't discover all bugs this way. And number two, some users don't even bother submitting bug reports. They just wait for you to fix it, and if you don't, they just leave the service. Now, the best software teams practice proactive error monitoring, which means you detect all the errors in your production apps and services in real time, and then you you can debug important errors in minutes or hours, often before your users even notice. A team 
Games from big companies you might have heard of like Twilio, CircleCI, Instacart, they use Rollbar to do this. With Rollbar, you get a real-time feed of all your errors so you know exactly what's broken in production and Rollbar automatically collects all the relevant data and metadata you need to debug those errors so you don't have to waste time sifting through logs. Debugging errors with Rollbar is crazy fast. You get the exact stack trace linked directly into your code base, the request parameters to easily reproduce the issue yourself, a data on which user is affected so you know if it's the same user repeating the same error again, what browser and operating system, basically everything you need all in one place. They also have this awesome telemetry feature that's kind of like getting a black box recorder after a crash but for errors. It shows you all the browser events leading up to that error. Uh, so if you aren't using Rollbar already, there's a special offer just for full stack radio listeners. If you head over to rollbar.com slash full stack radio, create an account and install Rollbar in your application, Rollbar will give you a $100 gift card that you can spend to support any of your favorite open source projects at Open Collective. So thanks to Rollbar for sponsoring the podcast this week. Back to the show. So I, I have another, I have another uh, interesting kind of problem that you might run into that people maybe don't realize right off yeah, the bat sure. that I was kind of excited about kind of related to this. Uh, so we've, we've talked about the routes and we've talked about the current users and we've talked about the policies. Um, but another one that I bumped into right away was how to do layouts because I was, you know, I've been building blade template apps for years now and I'm just, I became so accustomed to using extends and these complex, uh, um, options for for layouts that are available to me in blade um so i was kind of like oh man how am i going to do like this how am i going to do template inheritance and all this kind of stuff and it's actually even i would say it, it, it almost feels better to me in view and this is obviously a, pro, a problem that's been solved in view and it's just not something i've really maybe i have used it obviously because i've often had like i often use components within components in view but i just never thought about it in terms of the layout so i remember like actually you helped me kind of land on this is when i first kind of came up with the solution i actually still had each page like the actual template of the the site so imagine like your top nav and your and, and your, your 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 sorry your top header and your navigation and the current user and all i, I had all that still in my my actual server side render template and you're like well why not just move move that to view and that, and of course, that's what I did. And that's how we've landed at this spot. But it's really nice because what you can do is, so say you have like an events page within your app. Well, that that events page now exists as an events view component. But you want that events page to be shown within your main site layout. So what I've done is I've just created a layout.view. So a layout view component. And the way that layout view component, like it obviously has all the header and the the nav and everything that would be part of the, the main layout. But what it has within it is it has a default slot. So what I do is in my actual page component, I literally just wrap all the content within that page component with a layout component. So opening layout component, closing or opening layout tag, closing layout tag at the end. And now that whole page layout is, uh, that whole page is now within the layout of my whole site. Yeah. And what's even cool is if you want, this really gets kind of what we were talking about earlier. It now creates interesting opportunities for, for like uh, two-way communication between those two components. So one thing I have is I have it that you can pass the title up to that, that, that main layout component, which worries about actually displaying the title on the page. So within my actual page component, if I modify that title, maybe it's the person's name or something like that and they're editing it, 
it'll uh, automatically, with no work or anything on my part, bubble up to yeah. this other layout component for me yeah, automatically. Yeah, that's interesting. I was actually going to ask that question next, which is like, and to be clear, this is kind of what you were talking about, but yeah. how do you change stuff that's sort of outside of the element that you're mounted to? Like, for example, a thing that you commonly do in blade components is in like the actual title tag, you want to change the title that appears in like the tab in the browser. Um, that's not really possible to do from like within the body tag, which is where the view component lives. So what is yeah. your solution to doing that with this approach? Yeah, so this was actually like the t the stupid title tag at first. This kind of, I didn't really know how to solve that. I'm like, okay, I'm going to still have to render that on the server. And uh, and you absolutely can. Like my original version of this macro that I created to nicely display the view components and pass the data, like actually had another option, which passed, still passed blade data. And that blade data you could then use in the server rendered root element or that root blade template to display just to do whatever you want with that. And what I did is I always pass the title. So I would actually output the title of the page in uh, that root uh, blade template. I didn't really like it because um, the reason I didn't like it was because that meant now in every single one of my controllers, anytime I was displaying a view component, I had to pass the title. And I really like the mental model of the page itself, the page component itself, being responsible for setting whatever that page title is, which is something I've done for years and years and years in just classic server-side uh, templates. It defines a title, not the controller. For And by title, we're talking about the actual title that appears in the title tag in the head, which shows up in your browser uh, like tab in your header, mm -hmm. right? So then, and I was doing it that way because I, I just, I didn't really, wasn't really sure how else to do it. But then it kind of struck me, I'm like, well, with this whole approach to client side rendered templates, SEO is out the window already, which is, well, we maybe we got to get into that in a bit too, but SEO is out the window anyway. So, um, and all my, so all my templates are being client side rendered. Why can't I just use some JavaScript to set the document title? So that's what I actually now have in my main layout file. I literally just have a prop that you can pass to the layout called title. And then within that component, when it's mounted, it literally calls document.title equals title. Yeah. So it just the actual does it title. as soon as it's created, basically. That's right. And then I also create a watcher for that prop. So what happens then is if a if one of the page components modifies the title, maybe when they're typing in, updating their name in their profile form, like and that title gets changed, well, it literally updates the title on the fly because there's that that it's a reactive piece of yeah. uh, of of, inf of data very cool yeah yeah so the seo thing i guess is maybe interesting to get into a little bit um i think uh where it makes the most sense to use this sort of approach is probably the same place that it makes the most sense to use an spa right which is stuff that's basically like behind a login anyways or is dynamic depending on who's visiting it so it, you know, it's not really going to be indexable anyways, just like, you know, my Twitter feed isn't indexed on Google, you know, but what I kind of think yeah. is interesting using this approach is that if you do have pages where it is important that they're, um, indexable, that you could always sort of revert back to doing those with blade if you wanted to. 
Um, yeah. Whereas if you do something with like a full on SPA, your only option is to come up with some server side rendering strategy, which admittedly is getting easier and easier these days. And the, the tooling for that is getting better. But it's nice that uh, you can just do a straight up blade template for your marketing page if you wanted to keep it all in the same, you know, code base, for example. Absolutely. And what it, and kind of related to that is you will probably still like we're talking this whole entire time, like you're never going to use blade, but you actually probably still will, will use blade. It's still a very useful tool. Like, for instance, if you need to send an email from your app and you want to generate an email template, well, blade's still a wonderful a wonderful tool to have available to you in Laravel for that purpose. Yeah, that's actually a really interesting question that I would like to ask some of my uh, SPA loving friends. Like, what templating language and stuff are you using for emails? Because of course you can't do that stuff on the client. I'm sure there's there's a they've got an interesting answer for that. But yeah, it is one of those things that necessitates some sort of server side templating, anyways. Yeah, I think the email gets sent from the API, and that API would be a server side, obviously a server side yeah. uh, language, which would have the ability to generate that mm-hmm. and send it off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, yep, but you're right. You can absolutely even you do have flexibility still. Should you want to do a certain amount of server side rendering, still you have that ability to yeah, do that. Awesome, cool, man. Well, I think maybe uh, it's a good time to start wrapping this up because we've been going for quite a while here. Um, but where is the best place for uh, for people to sort of learn more about this approach if you're interested? Like where can they find that blog post? And I think you put together kind of an example project that people can pull down and check out too if they're interested in playing with it. Yeah, so you can find the actual article on my website, which is just Reinink, R-E-I-N-I-N-K dot C-A. So Reinink dot C-A, just hit articles and uh, you'll find it there. It's called server-side apps with client-side rendering. Uh, you can find me on Twitter as well, uh, at Renink, again, my last name. And uh, and then the actual example, the demo app that I created is on GitHub. You can find a link to it from that article, or you could just go to my GitHub page, with which is github.com slash Renink as well. Awesome, man. Well, thanks again for uh, coming on and chatting with me. As always, it's uh, my pleasure to be speaking with you about this stuff. And I'm actually pretty excited to play with this approach and give it a shot on one of my own apps. Love it. Thanks for having me, dude. Thanks for checking out this episode of Full Stack Radio. If you are interested in the show notes where I will include links to all the stuff that we talked about, you can find them at fullstackradio.com slash 108. Thanks to Rollbar and Cloudinary for sponsoring the podcast this week, and we'll see you next time.